You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 87 of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and joining me from scenic fantasy land of Hawaii is Mikey Campbell. How's it going, guys? Mikey, what's, what's catch me up here? Because I know that we talked last week with Neil about the event and iOS 10 and all this stuff. What has been the most exciting thing for you with your your brand new iPhone 7? Uh, I haven't gotten mine yet. Why not? Because Apple once again screwed me. Oh, on the pre-order. Yeah, it happens every year. So, I mean, I'm used to it. <laughs> well, I uh, I got a chance to hold one and work with one the other night, and it's a really nice device. You know, I, I know I've seen some commentary out there from people who say things like they, they they don't think Apple went very far, that they didn't change the design enough. And my perspective holding one in my hand was that this is not uh, a device that needs to be changed drastically. This is the refinement of a device mm. that that what we've reached is one where instead of looking at the screen and being able to discern where the edges are of the screen as opposed to the chin and the, the forehead and the side barrier, the side margins of the phone, it now looks like it's just basically one sheet of glass. Right. That, that this is, you know, they've, they've made it before. This is their, their idealized version almost. That the only way this would be more idealized as their version of what a phone should be is if they could get rid of the home button entirely. Right. Right. Well, I mean, uh, Johnny, I've always wanted it to be a single sheet of glass. So we're getting there. Slowly, slowly, we are getting there. And I like it, you know. I, I wasn't sure how I'd feel about the force touch version of the home button, but it works really well. You, you can sort of tune it in software. You can pick in the settings three different ways that it should vibrate when you, when you quote-unquote click it, and it works so well. Hmm. Yeah, I have yet to... Uh, I have yet to experience the solid state home button. So, well, there you go. Looking forward to it. And you know, the other things we, we've covered some other trips and tips and tricks about the home button. And last week we talked about how you can go to settings, accessibility and uh, settings, general accessibility and go to the home button. And instead of having to press the home button to unlock your phone in iOS 10, you could rest your finger on the button on the touch ID and it would unlock. And that's, uh, that's a nice change for people who like things to work the way they used to work. It's, yeah. oh, go on. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, I mean, well, for me on the 6S, it, it only works sometimes. It's kind of weird. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, I, I tried doing a clean install and still uh, it's kind of it's buggy. Not functioning for you. Yeah. For, for those of us with older devices like the 5, 5S, and the, the, the 6, being able to rest your finger there to unlock is, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I should say that for the 5S, not the 5. The other trick that I wanted to mention is you can go in accessibility, and if you turn on magnify, then triple classic tricking or triple pressing the home button uses the camera with zoom on it to magnify things. So if you need a magnifier glass for whatever reason, you can do that and triple pressing the home button will turn that on. And that's a feature that I, I don't think I've seen before. 
Nope. iOS 10 is just full of these little things. Um, you know, and, and we talked about the big sort of flagship features like messages and messaging apps, but there's all these hidden little things that I think we're going to keep finding for, for some time to come. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what they can do. I mean, there's a, there's still a, I feel like at this point they're just making iterational additions to iOS. Um, maybe next year we'll see some really sweeping changes when the hardware gets refreshed. But uh, I think at this point they're kind of limited by the uh, what the hardware can do. Well, so there's there's limitations by what the hardware can do. There's also limitations by size, right? We know that for the iPad Pro, the 12-inch, that in iOS 10, mail becomes this three-pane thing, and so does notes. They mm-hmm. take advantage of a larger screen size. But when you have the phone in your hand, there are limit, just physical limitations that, that come into play. I, I would agree that some of it's iteration-like, that it's, it's evolutionary as opposed to revolutionary. But I think that these are at least useful functional changes. They're not simply new coats of paint. Yeah. You know, and if, if that's what we're seeing as part of the maturation of this device, right, the device is a little bit longer in tooth, the device has now become grown up, then that's okay with me. Yeah, I have no problem with uh, what Apple's doing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, it's a solid release, uh, both the phone and the <clears throat> OS. Have you installed any messaging apps? Um, yes, I have. Let's see. Confide, the uh, that self-destructive message app that self-destructs after you person reads it um some sticker packs what else uh yelp it's pretty good open table is pretty good um i think that's about it that as far as the ones that i actually use cool so the the ios app store labels each app with compatible platforms in ios and mac os and the purchase process and downloading process for a message app is, is about the same as an iOS-only app. Uh, then, then you have to, once you've downloaded an app and installed it on the phone, it still needs to be added to messages. So the, the messages view has this, this set of new controls to it, basically. You get a camera, you get the heart with two fingers on it, and you get the app store symbol next to your text field where you enter the messages. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to go ahead and install a Messages app to be able to use it, you have to tap on that App Store icon. And then a sort of dock will appear that will allow you to search by items below there. And you can tap on um, this this sort of button that looks like a, a four grid. And it will list the apps that you've already got that are available to you to put in. You can use the slider to go ahead and automatically add them, or you could just enable them or disable them as you like. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think right now that whole UI is kind of a mess. <clears throat> You're not the only one. Yeah, well, I mean it's hard. It's hard to fit an entire, basically, platform into the confines of a stripped-down messaging app. Right, and I'd agree with you for this. However, there are some other places that the UI is a little bit crowded and clunky. In iOS 10? Yes. Mm. Uh, for instance, they revamped the music app, didn't they? Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Can you, Mikey Campbell, tell me where in the heck shuffle and repeat are at a song level? Uh, no. No, I can't. You're in luck. You're in luck because I figured out where they are. (gasps) Oh. And it's not obvious. Didn't Apple, I think I saw someone on Apple Support's Twitter about it, didn't didn't I? Okay. I, I just want to say this. If you have to tweet an instructional manual on how to find the shuffle and repeat controls, you've kind of failed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If, if you have to tweet about where shuffle and repeat are, they blew it. So what, what you have to do, and I'm doing this from memory, but what you have to do is you have to play a song and view the song that you're playing. And as you're viewing that, then you have to swipe up and then swipe up a little bit more and you get your repeat and shuffle control. Yeah. 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 I see it. So so what happens there is when you're playing a song, it's in this little sort of bar just above the menu bar at the bottom, the tabbed bar of controls. And if you swipe up on that song, then you get a full screen display of the song. And if you swipe up again, then you get up next, shuffle, and repeat. And that's entirely too hidden. You know, if you go back to the original iPod products, if you go back to the iPod app when music was still named iPod on iPod Touches and, and iPhones, this kind of control was obvious. And it was right next to the play-pause controls. And now they've hidden it. Yeah, I don't know why they, they would do something like that. It's kind of like one of the basic buttons, and it doesn't really take up much space. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they know something we don't know. Maybe not many people use shuffle or repeat. That may be. but And, and it's certainly one of the things that they could know about by simply tracking the amount of times the thing is tapped. Even so, I, I used to use shuffle quite a lot, and it's hard to find. Do not know. Do not yeah. know why they did it. So yeah. my, my review of iOS 10, in a nutshell, is lots of cool features, not always the easiest to find, but boy, I'm glad they've done it. What yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty happy. What would you say is your favorite feature of iOS 10? Is? What, what do you think, if someone mm-hmm. says, I just installed iOS 10, what should I do? What's the one thing you tell them is the most important to check out? Probably the revamped uh, notification center and the um, control center. I I find myself going into those all the time. Yeah? What do you do? do, Um, Well, for notification center, um, I just have a bunch of uh, uh, widgets in there. So widgets have become super useful. Yeah. Um, and I'd also go in and en- enable the widgets on the apps that you really like. Like, uh, I don't know, for me, I, I like uh, Dark Sky, the weather app. Right. So, so you scroll that. all the way down to the bottom where it says some number of new widgets available. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you tap on that and manage the new widgets. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does a good job at surfacing apps that uh, if, if you have tons of apps instead of scrolling through your home screen, it does a good job of surfacing uh, the apps that you want in fairly short order. Good. And Control Center is also, I think, uh, much better now. It has um, 
I do like the music player controls that were integrated. So that's, that's also always good to have richer set of controls at quickly at hand. Yeah. One of the things I like about the music panel is that it's got which output device you're playing through. Mm, yeah. And I find that it's pretty cool that you can switch quickly between them. And, and here's why. I've been demoing a number of different Bluetooth headsets recently. And being able to put one earbud from one Bluetooth headset in one ear and one from another headset in the other ear and play a song and tap between the two and switch quickly between left and right ear has been really beneficial for hearing the differences between sound, the uh, the different headphones. Yeah. I know it's a strange use case, but I'm just saying it's very cool that you can switch that fast between them. Yeah, and it works well, too. It works. Uh, it's pretty snappy. I feel like it's a little faster than before. I would agree. The other thing that I really like is HomeKit. Mm. I haven't... I haven't been using the HomeKit uh, Control Center application because the HomeKit Control Center part of it is all focused on favorite scenes. Yeah. And you can switch it to be focusing on accessories. So you have some favorite accessories that you can use in there. But um, it's it's good. I like the Home app very much, and having that in Control Center is cool. Yeah, I think they need to break out uh, more of the controls, though. I think they underestimate how... <laughs> Well, yeah, I think they, I think they underestimate how mm, granular people want their controls to be for their device for their in-home devices. Okay. I mean, it's I mean, it's cool that they have the macros and stuff. You access, quick access to the macros in yeah. notification center. Well, they have quick access to the devices themselves too. If get, you if you tap on so if you look at it by default, it says favorite scenes mm-hmm. and has a button for accessories next to that. Yeah, and if you tap on that accessories button, then it switches to showing you all of your devices. There's no way to default that, though, right? To just the devices itself. Um, when I close it and come back to it, it still comes back yeah. to the accessories. Seems. So it's still oh really? Working. Yeah. Oh. Mine does not. Hmm. Okay then. Maybe it's just my phone. Well, that's good. Check that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean that's good because I like to just turn on searching lights not macros like i'm not always you you don't have a macro set up or a a scene as it were set up for which lights you want to have on so you go and tap them individually yeah which is pretty common right like i want to have that i want to have that uh utility of just you know uh turning on a light when i want to rather than you know remembering oh what scene is it it's right there mikey you can't well let me try and reinstall iOS 10 again because it's, uh, it's not working. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something wrong with my uh, settings. I just got to, I'll just reinstall the whole thing again and not carry on over any of my settings. Yeah. We shall see. So let me ask you this. What are you using for Bluetooth headphones in the future? Um, in the future, probably AirPods and try those out. Uh, Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't really think about it because I don't usually use Bluetooth headphones. So gonna have to gonna have to think about that. I, I agree that I I haven't always used Bluetooth headphones in the past. In fact, I haven't frequently used them in the past. But I have been more frequently lately. You know, recently I've been using the uh, the decibels ones that mold to your ears. I sent you a pair of those, right? 
Yeah, I got those. Yeah, you got to try those out. They're not bad. I've also been using the the Bag and Olufsen H5s, which are not terrible. Mm. And uh, and I've, I've been using a few of them. And I, uh, I actually had a great email from a fellow who listens to the podcast who wrote in to talk about something we said on the last episode, right? Uh, Neil and I were talking about Bluetooth, and we were talking about different headphones. And I mentioned the the LG Tone neck hoop that uh, my FedEx delivery driver wears. And the uh, we, we have a, a fellow who's a listener who wrote in and uh, said that pretty much all commercial drivers wear the LG Tone neck hoop because you get decent sound quality. You get a long battery life because they can fit a big battery in that neck hoop. And that it just works well. Hmm. You know, you don't have to fool around with where the cords go or having it fall off your neck and it stays put. It's in place. It's good. Um, yeah, I don't think I, I don't know. Those designs are not appealing to me, but I could see where that, that was I mean, his point. Yeah. You know, he says, he says no one mentions them because, uh, aesthetics, right. Yeah. You, you, you would feel foolish wearing them. Yeah. Well, I mean, unless I had a job like a FedEx driver. Yes. Yeah. I mean, in that case, it's it's useful and therefore would not feel ashamed to be wearing it. Exactly. You know, the, that's the thing is that we forget, and it's easy to forget, that there are very different contexts and very different jobs. And that the device that works really well for one may not be the right answer for everyone, but that it can still be a very good device. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So more credit to, to that. And I'm going to end up trying out the uh, the LG Tones. They, they make a variant that's got uh, drivers in it from Hardened Carden. And I think I'm going to give that a listen. LG. It's been a while since they had a uh, decent audio product. You know, they are... They're doing so many different things, right? They make TVs powered by WebOS, which used to power cell phones. Mm-hmm. They make earbuds that have heart rate sensors in them. Yeah. They tried making fitness bracelets for a while. They'll, they'll, they'll try and do something of everything. And yeah. when they do, they tend to execute it pretty well. But it's, it's sort of the lack of focus and lack of consistency that makes it hard to pin down what they're going to do next. Yeah, I mean, they're like the... They're, they're a modern-day Sony, just like Samsung, kind of. Or maybe uh, they're they're more of a modern day Panasonic, I guess, or national brand. If you're living in Japan, right? Do a little bit of everything. Mm. Do it well. It's pretty good. Yeah. So let's move on. I, I know I don't want to get bogged down in headphones. Um, we talked a little bit about different types of of messenger apps. And I'm going to segue into this by saying that Facebook Messenger added support for iOS 10's call kit controls. Mm. So the call kit framework was introduced as a part of iOS 10. And what it does is it allows other applications to behave as if they are the built-in phone application. So if you get a call coming in, that you'll get the dial pad mute, speakerphone toggle, and and maybe even some application-specific buttons. But for the most part, it will look like the call interface that you're used to seeing when you receive a call. And Messenger is one of the first ones to be able to do this, which is very cool. Yeah. And CallKit also extends this to CarPlay. So you can't actually launch the Messenger app from CarPlay's home screen, but if you get the incoming call, 
it has the same kind of controls on the car dashboard. Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah, see, it's like things like that that uh, Android really can't compete with. The as far as the integration goes and app extensibility. Well, the, Android has some of that capability in in terms of being able to do a lot of the the integrated desktop widgets on on their their phone home screen kind of thing. Yeah, but it's not. But, it's not as it's not as polished, obviously, and it's not and it's kind of scattershot. It's kind of like you know, hit it. So it's hit not it. unified and consistent because what they end up doing is replacing the phone app with another phone app. Right, everything's modular there, and because it's all modular, none of it's integrated. Right, it's right. just replace a part instead of talking to the part. Right, uh, and and especially when you talk about Android Auto, right? Android Auto is this experience where. You plug in your phone and you get a map screen, you get a music screen, and you get notification notification screen, and that's kind of it. There's not a whole lot more to it, and so you'd never see this kind of call kit control stuff appear in, in Android Auto either. Right. Yeah. Now we're talking about iOS 10. We're talking about the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus, and some users have been complaining about bad sound quality when taking calls. Hmm. Shades of iPhone 4. A little bit. Uh, regular audio appears to not be affected. Um, no one's really sure exactly what it is. It's, it's, uh, it could be um, the audio sounding distant as if their yeah, sound is coming yeah. from behind the device. Well, what do you think this is? Um, I think it could be uh, a network update issue. Because my uh, my girlfriend, who has a six and updated to iOS ten, has been complaining of you know the same issues. Hmm. Um, she's on AT and T, as am I. Um, but yeah, I mean, right after we uh, uh, I up- I updated the phone, got those uh, started started seeing those issues. So I think it has to do with iOS ten um, carrier handling. I mean, uh, Apple's done this before, right? I mean, they pushed out a new OS, and then right after, you, you see a couple carrier updates. Um, right. And in fact, when I updated my phone, there was a carrier update available right away. Yeah. Oh, are you on um, Verizon? T- oh, Verizon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. I think I think it's uh, probably just um, some issue with the phone talking to the cellular network could be some some sort of weird delay going on or I don't know exactly what it, what it is but uh, it doesn't seem to be specific to any like for example if uh, an AT&T phone were to call it like a T-Mobile phone or a landline say it, I don't it, it, it's kind of agnostic it doesn't matter so I think it's originating on the hardware and so it could be could be something with firmware or the carrier right. update should be should be easy to fix. I mean, Apple's done it before, so. Cool. Now, on the whole, people who have gotten their phones seem to be very impressed with them. There's there's a whole lot going on with the OS that we like. Uh, people have begun seeing the beta that came out. The 10.1 beta came out and enabled the iPhone 7 Plus's okay portrait mode. Mm, and yeah, right. This, this portrait mode is the one that was described in the keynote where you have both lenses in use and they, they do distance mapping 
to see what's in the foreground and should be focused on and what's in the background that could be blurred. And they're using the dual lens to create this effect uh, that, that essentially tries to look like the kind of thing you'd shoot with a nice prime lens on a, uh, on a DSLR. Right. And for the most part, the pictures look wonderful and people seem to be receiving them very positively. There have been a few comments about how, at least at this point in its life, and this is part of a beta OS, that uh, fences and other kinds of straight lines don't seem to work quite as well in the yeah. background. Yeah, well, it's the kind of uh, blur that they're using. It's uh, it's like a disc blur. It's not a Gaussian blur, so it's not a uniform. Um, uh, it's not it's not a uniform blur across the board. So, like you know, Gaussian blur will just take an average of everything in the background and just blur it to a certain. Uh, right, but you don't want threshold. that because if you're yeah. doing depth mapping yeah. and some things are further away from others, right. you can't. Yeah, yeah. So to yeah, so to simulate. Uh, a true lens they're they're doing a custom blur operation and it doesn't work well with straight lines and that, i mean that's always an issue with uh with software based um imagery tricks right it it doesn't it'll reproduce what you want it to reproduce obviously but uh to the to the human eye we're used to seeing it in a certain way and you just can't replace glass with uh with software it doesn't. It doesn't always work out. But it seems like no it's working. substitute for a lens. <clears throat> yeah, but it seems like uh, for the most part, the uh, the uh, portrait mode is is. I mean, it is a pretty solid analog for for I mean, for a smartphone, right? Okay. I mean, let alone a point and shoot camera. So good. So let me ask you: you typically buy both phones and then decide which one you're going to keep. Is that right? Yeah. Right. What, what what do you think you're going to keep this time around? Um, well, this time around, I just ordered the seven plus because um, I'm just going to put my faith put my faith in Apple because <laughs> I I want that dual lens setup. Do so you? yeah, so I mean, if I if I'm using it, if I use it for a week and it it's just I can't take it, then I guess I'm going to have to go back to the seven. But I really want the uh, the dual lens feature it's a uh, to me that is enough of a differentiator to force me to buy the larger one cool because i mean you know when the six came out optical image stabilization was not that much of a differentiator for me it wasn't it wasn't the killer the killer feature that right. would uh you know prompt me to you know deal with the added heft yes so let's skip ahead a little bit. I want to talk about this. We've talked about before about Apple buying up different companies. And Apple's bought out a company named Tuplejump from India. Mm. What, what is Tuplejump? Tuplejump is a machine learning firm. They're really small, actually. So TechCrunch broke the news today. Uh, apparently, they're interested in the Philo DB open source machine learning project that they had going. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this is just the latest in a string of, of hires in that sector for Apple. Uh, they, they purchased a uh, Turi and emotions uh, earlier this year. Um, and Perceptio is uh, also a 
uh, image focused uh, machine learning firm that Apple bought last year. So it, it, they're building out a, uh, a machine learning division. Um, and we're kind of seeing that we're seeing like the, the first products to come out of that in iOS with, um, with photos, right? The uh, face detection and all that good stuff. So we're, we're kind of seeing the fruits of those acquisitions, but to a larger extent, um, this kind of technology can be applied to basically anything in iOS, right? Right. Music, music being one of the uh, kind of like a, not a holy grail, but probably the next step for for Apple for their streaming Just service. In terms of recommendations, recommendations, yeah. 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 So, I mean, there's a, there's a, actually, there's a whole bunch of stuff. They, they, this can even, this can even be applied to computer vision, um, uh, for their, you know, Project Titan, quote unquote, Apple car software. Um, machine learning is involved in detecting what, how fast, you know, reading stop signs, reading an environment all that good stuff. So, I mean, this can be applied from to pretty much anything that Apple's doing right now. And a lot of companies are already in the process of developing their own machine learning divisions. So this, this for me is kind of the, the, this, this is Apple has their fingers in a lot of different things, right? They've got their fingers in machine learning. Um, they've got them in researching ways to, to keep things you know, differential privacy, keep things private without, mm-hmm. uh, with, with, without sacrificing that machine learning. Um, they've got their fingers in development of a new Apple TV-sized device, which we're going to talk about in a few seconds, right? Yeah. They have patents on different types of screen technologies. And also there's this, this vehicle thing floating around there. Yep. So, for, first of all, is Apple spreading themselves too thin? No. I don't think so. I mean, they've. They, they, it's not like they're pulling. Well, besides the Project Titan rumors, where they were pulling, where they're uh, pulling people in from other departments, it's not like they're they're doing that actively for you know every single project. People aren't being pulled in multiple directions. They're still fairly focused, and they're always hiring more people, right? Right. Um, so these acqui hires that that they're performing are just part of that. So they're building out in the traditional way in that they're hiring people to build a division. They're not they're not necessarily taking talent or stealing talent from other areas. And it's kind of hard with Apple because they don't really have divisions, right? They're kind of they're the way that their corporate structure is set up. They don't necessarily have a um a photos uh like arm or a photos uh the developers that work on photos one year could be working on mail the next yeah right 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 yeah i mean so there's there there are general uh lines in the sand where you know people usually stay within their you know certain boxes but those boxes overlap with each other and um, the, the people who they answer to the middle managers and, and, you know, 
uh, top level execs, they have a, a whole bunch of their, their purview spans a, a wide, wide area compared to other companies. So in part, that's why Apple products work so well because all the parts work together. Yes. Now tell me about this Apple TV device or this Apple TV sized device that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. What, I, yeah, what that, I understand is that there's an FCC filing that shows a, a device that's similar in size to an Apple TV. What's, yeah. what's different about this thing? Um, it has NFC in it, for one thing we know. Hmm. We don't really know much about it, right? Uh, the FCC filing is um, very vague. It has a, a label, basically, and a bit of an outline of uh, of what looks to be the bottom of a device. So, I mean, it could be anything. It could be a router, for all we know. Right. The typical, the the current and electrical rating are also fairly generic. So, uh, I'm looking at it right now. So, 100 5. lamps, 530.2. Current rating is 100 milliamps. So, it's, you know peak is 700 milliamps but i mean it's similar to products that they already have out there like apple tv but with a few few key differences right right so this is a a device on the label that says that it's an a1833 something or other yeah what other devices do we know that are in that 1800 group anything don't know what is the apple tv the apple tv i don't think the 1800 block is used by apple right now i mean in the, the u.s was the 1378 the third gens were 1400s 1427 1469 and the fourth generation that's a good question the fourth generation is a1625 so I don't know. It could be. It could be a lot of things. It could be that. Uh, it could be that beacon that people are talking about. I'm, um. Could be. Could be a new airport. Although the design would have changed because the airport has a event at the bottom. Yeah. So design might have changed there. Um. I think it's it's either a new version of the Apple TV or the iBeacon. The iBeacon sounds uh, interesting to me because it does have, I mean, Bluetooth okay, and what is, what is the iBeacon as a device that you're thinking of? What would uh, that be? Well, th- I, I mean, they have these things installed at Apple stores, except they're not made by Apple. They're made by... Um, Oh God! Who makes them? I forget who makes them. Uh, another company, not Apple, but they, they basically tell you where you are in the store um, and give you alerts and prompts based on your position. So uh, there were rumors that Apple would be bringing that technology in the home as part of their automated home initiative. Um, so, for example, if you have a series of iBeacons spread throughout your house, like let's say one in your living room, one in your kitchen, 
one in the bedroom, it would be able to track you through the house and turn on lights, turn on uh, adjust. You do things like proximity detection and proximity awareness. And you can yeah, turn right. on lights as you enter and leave the room. Right. And you can also, if you put a temperature sensor in them, then you can send back and augment whatever thermostat you're using. Mm-hmm. So it, it very, uh, it, it basically gives your your house eyes and ears. Well, not eyes, but yeah, you know, you know what I mean, metaphorically speaking. Um, so that that is the the eye beacon. But I mean that that those rumors have been around for I don't know years now, ages, ages. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it could be something like that. It's also interesting that the FCC filing. Looks like the screws on the back are Torx. Apple doesn't really normally use Torx screws. Well, if they're embedded inside the device, they might. But yeah, they use pentalobe normally. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not really sure what this is. It could be nothing. Okay. Yeah. A lot of a lot of things pass through the FCC uh, that come from Apple. A lot of testing and regulatory stuff. A lot of stuff passes through that doesn't really make it to store shelves. So, I mean, take that. Yeah, they, they have the luxury of being able to test something and pay for the testing and then decide not to ship after all. Yeah, yeah. It just all depends on their product plan and market, it's, uh, whatever the market is uh, trending, how the market is trending. So, yeah, it's just uh, part of their standard operating procedure. Yes. Cool. Now, I I mentioned vehicles, right? So what is the latest in Apple and vehicles? Um, Surprise, surprise, they're not really going to make an Apple car. How do you say that? Well, that's the latest rumor. Uh, Latest rumor is they're, you know, they've, I don't know if you guys, did you guys talk about this last week? They uh, fired or or let go. we talked about that a little bit, but that's, okay. I mean, Our, that's uh, not conclusive, is it? No, we are, but we, we've also heard rumblings that, um, from our own sources that it, you know, the, the hardware, um, asp- or the, the hardware aspect of the Project Titan initiative has been kind of put on the back burner at least for now. Not sure if it's been scrapped entirely, but um, they're going to put a focus on software. So self-driving software um, and stuff that they can stick into perhaps a production vehicle when it's done, Uh, which seems a lot more manageable than creating an entire car, which has always been my argument uh, against an Apple car is that Apple even though they are the world's largest company would be extremely hard pressed to uh, design, develop, test uh, go through all the quality uh, assurance um, you know, minutiae for a heavy industry product like a car it's just it, in the amount of time that people are saying that it was going to be done, it just seemed impossible. Per, I, I thought, you know, when the, these rumors first came out, that 
um, that they would be partnering. It would be more, it, Apple would be more apt to partner with an existing uh, car maker or. Right. And there was that exploration that we, we heard was rumored between Apple and BMW, for yeah, example. BMW. And now the latest stuff is uh, McLaren. And um, although, you know, M- McLaren denies that there's a takeover bid, but Apple could still be interested in uh, well, investing in McLaren. So, so M- McLaren denies it pretty vociferously, right? They're pretty vehement well, about this. They deny that there's a takeover bid. They don't deny that Apple could be seeking an investment or, you know, at least a large stake in the well, company. No, no. Their, their statement says that McLaren is not in discussion with Apple in respect of any potential investment at this time. And so the options there are there is no investment or there is no potential investment because it had already done happen. Yeah. Did they say investment? I thought it said take. I thought they said um, acquisition. The statement is, is not in discussion with Apple in respect of any potential investment at this time. Hmm. So either the investment's already taken place or there is no investment. Hmm. Hmm. But... Or, but the people that wrote the business inside the, the Financial Times story and the New York Times story that claimed that this had happened or was happening insist that McLaren is just blowing smoke, that it is really happening. Yeah. They stand by their story. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, it kind of makes sense. McLaren's a boutique uh, car maker. They have a lot of tech. Um, they have a they have a whole bunch of patents. That's basically how they have survived so long. Um, um, but I don't know. It, I mean, it seems like for Apple, who's so driven by mass adoption, that they would. What what would they gain? with a stake in McLaren who markets to a very, very slim segment of uh, the car buying public. Right. Right. But if they have, first of all, a platform and second of all, the platform engineers, then they can certainly repurpose them to making a platform suitable for Apple's goals. Um, Yeah. But McLaren's, uh, they're not. They're not about volume production. Their their engineers are not. Th- that platform is not a volume production platform. It is not a volume production platform, but it's an interesting platform from the standpoint that the, the current ones are computer tuned within an inch of their lives. Yeah. That that computers adjust the driving characteristics as they're being driven, and are are pretty amazing. Yeah. Amazing or no, I think a, I mean, I could see, I could see Apple investing in McLaren to maybe as like a test bed, maybe not rolling out a consumer product you right. know, on well, a McLaren any machine. Any product that rolled out would not be a McLaren product like that. It would no. be an Apple product. Yeah. But so, we know that Apple goes through great lengths of refining and creating new production processes. So they could certainly learn from McLaren for chassis tuning and chassis mm-hmm. production yeah, and then come up with their own processes as a part of this. Right. Yeah. Interesting. I'm skying this, right? Right. So, but this is not the only vehicle rumor that came out this week. No, 
What's the other one? Uh, other one is Lit Motors. It's like a self-balancing motorcycle kind of deal. It's actually, it's actually, it's kind of like a hybrid between a car and a motorcycle. It's like it's a an enclosed two-wheeler. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So basically, it's Tron's light cycle. True. You hadn't thought of that one, had you? No. No. So Lit makes Tron's light cycle, and Apple is. What are they doing with this? Um, do not know. Uh, they're uh, if they were to acquire that company, uh. There's a bunch of probably great engineers working there on electric motors. And um, if it's self-balancing, that means they're also working with the brains of the car, integrating that deeply with the drivetrain. So it serves their interest to yeah. buy something like that. And, and they've already hired a number of engineers away from Lit, so it makes sense if they want not just the engineering know-how, but also want to buy the IP, the technology, and the IP and everything, and yeah. build it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's not like they're thinking about a self-balancing motorcycle branded by Apple. But they're, it's all small pieces of a larger puzzle. Yes. Yeah. I heard, uh, was it Peter? No. Uh, who was ex Googler that said the, uh, going price for, uh, self-driving car specialist or engineer was $10 million or something. Thought that was Musk that said that. No, there was a Googler that said that. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So that's interesting. So this is definitely a area of, intense exploration what's really interesting is that a couple of years ago this topic didn't exist right we went from having no self-driving to several organizations doing self-driving right it's all become a problem that's intensely focused on and it's going to be solved relatively soon you know in the scheme of history Mm -hmm. this is this is one of those things where if we put our minds to it we can totally do it kind of thing and it has huge impact societally on things like long-distance trucking, uh, mass transit, uh, car ownership as a habit. Because if you don't necessarily need to own a car, you can just have one come to you and drive for you, right? Yeah. And, and that has knock-on effects to things like insurance companies. Yes, so sir. It's, it's kind of a huge deal. But it's a path that we seem to be intent upon. Yeah. I don't know when we're going to get to the uh, level level four required for uh, hands free hands free uh, autonomous vehicles, though. I can't pinpoint the date, but it's coming. What do you, w- you would you say that? next ten years? If the level of energy that's being devoted to this problem at this time is, is maintained or increased, then yes. Yeah. I see that too. I could also see a. I could also see, um, kind of. I could see the the momentum stall when people realize that it's not as advanced as they think it is. Maybe. Look, it's, at, at at this point in time, it's pretty advanced. Yeah, it's right? pretty advanced. You but can, I mean, you still. There's, it's it's, it's not, not an in-town city driving solution at this moment, but it's it's a highway driving situation where 
it's assisted driving. Lanes, I mean, it's it's technically it lanes, assisted driving. Keep you within the lanes and keep you at a reasonable distance from the car in front and behind you and avoid cars coming into your lane. Uh, for a lot of good things have been accomplished here. Yeah. And they're not done yet. Yeah. But they're nowhere. They're, they're not close in the grand scheme of things to a true self-driving car. Well, that's what you just asked me a few minutes ago was that I think it was five or ten years away. Ten years. Ten years. Right. Yeah. I, so I, I could see ten. I could see ten if the, level of, uh, if the level of research continues at this pace. But now that the government's getting involved, who knows? Well, unpredictable. Let's say that. But there, there's always variables, including regulatory variables, in any huge project like this. So, yeah. gosh, what else would you like to talk about, Mikey? Um, let me see. Um, nothing really happened this week besides, I mean, the big news was the, uh, the iOS 10 and, uh, Mac OS releases, um, growing pains about that. And that's about it. Yeah. Um, what is this? You, are you going to get the uh, new uh, Series 2 watch? I have been thinking if I can sell my my original watches that I might get one Series 2 watch for my daughter. Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, she's a swimmer, and ch- check me on this. My thinking is that if, if you like your current watch, WatchOS 3 makes it very good and is totally sufficient. If you run or swim that having the GPS and the waterproofness and swimming activity makes sense to upgrade. Oh yeah, definitely. Is, is that the right way to think about this? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is more of a fitness tracker than the original watch was autonomously. I mean, not autonomous, right. like, you know, it's a, it's more of a standalone. Yeah. Fitness you can, tracker. you don't it's, need to carry your phone with you on your run. It will record into its GPS and solve it for you when you get back to your phone kind of thing. Right. And it also does swimming. Which is, yeah. you know, for people that live in, like, Hawaii, it's great. Um, this is not the first swimming wearable we've seen. You know, if we no. think back to the Misfit Shine Speedo product or the Misfit Shine and Ray that are able to be updated with the Speedo algorithms yeah. for swimming. Well, Those the are devices, yeah. but they're not. Yeah, the Apple but they're watch. not. They're, they lack screens, for one thing. Uh, they're not multifunction. Those were pure fitness trackers, but, uh, Apple is obviously, uh, going toward, they're really selling the fitness aspect of Apple watch hard as evidenced by Nike partnership. Um, yeah, let me ask about that because I, I know some people like the look of the Nike sport band. Can you use the Nike software on any watch series two, or do you have to only buy the Nike one? I believe that the Nike version comes with the software built in. I think they haven't really released an official statement on it, but reports are, you know, saying that you can download it. I don't think it'll have, you won't be able to download like the uh, custom faces and stuff that Nike is providing. Yeah. I don't need the faces, but I do like the idea of it. You know, it's the weekend. You ought really ought to go running kind of thing. Yeah that they demoed on the Nike version only. 
And so my question is, is I feel like that. On? I feel like it might be able, you might be able to do that. Um, of course, as an app, so it's not going to be perhaps as integrated as it is in, although, although we don't know how Weird. integrated it is because, uh, they didn't really demo the Nike one that they, they, that they basically demoed the exercise things where they track how many days out of the week you've exercised. Yeah. And they know yeah. that if you start on the weekend that you're more reliable to keep it up during the week. That's yeah. so the that, kind of interesting thing that dovetails for me right along with the breathe experience. Yeah, so I mean that could be an app or it could be part of the operating system, but I don't know. I don't know. Cool. Well, um, in other news, I've been using macOS Sierra. Have you been using Sierra? I had used the beta, but I did not upgrade to the final version yet. Why? I've been working and I haven't had a chance to. Lazy, lazy, lazy. (laughs) Lazy Mikey. How dare you? Wow, like that. Lazy, lazy, lazy. So I upgraded, and I've been using Siri on Sierra. And mm-hmm. Siri isn't constantly listening the same way that it does on iOS, and there's there's no good way to make it constantly listen, and that's okay. Um, you bring up the functionality with keystroke, or you click on the menu bar, and Siri goes ahead and responds. Uh, but it's not the same Siri. We've seen this before, right? Siri on Apple TV is focused on Apple TV functions and can't do some of the others. Siri on the phone is very focused on doing many things with the phone. Siri in CarPlay limits you back to things that only make sense in the car. So Siri on the Mac limits you to Mac things, right? Searching with Finder, launching apps, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's good, but one of the things that... I think we sort of need to understand and, and get to a point where it's easy to understand is what is allowed under these different contexts, right? Yeah, right. This is the problem that I have with Amazon Alexa is that you start adding skills to Alexa and it's hard to know what syntaxes are allowed for which skill. You know, I, I can tell Alexa to turn on the lights, but if I've got a GE kitchen appliance, I have to say, tell, hey, Alexa, tell Geneva, which is the name of the GE stuff, to do this other thing. And it's kind of complex keeping track of all the syntaxes. So with with Siri on Mac versus Siri on Apple TV, they kind of tell you when you've gone too far. They they say, I'm sorry, I can't respond to that kind of question, or I can't tell you the answer to that kind of thing. But having Siri on the Mac does get interesting. It does get useful because you know you can um, you, you can use it to handle doing automated tasks. You can handle use it to do things for some of the, uh, the system preferences, the finder tasks, apps, FaceTime. This is not bad. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, I, I like to use Siri a lot on the phone for setting reminders. I can do that at the Mac now also. That's helpful. Yeah. We're moving towards a hands-off computing experience. Right. So in summary, we're moving towards a hands-off computing experience. And if we follow it all the way down the logical conclusion, driven by a touchscreen on an iPad. Yeah. Right? Because that's what Cook says is the replacement computer in their vision. Yeah. For now. Until he tells us that it's something else. But uh, I, I quite like that future. All right. Well, Mike Campbell, where can people find you on the internet? Not Apple Insider and on Twitter at MikeyCampbell81. 
Okay. If Lazy Mike Campbell rides a two-wheeled motorcycle that self-balances, we'll tell you all about it next week on the Apple Insider Podcast. And, and Mike, your assignment for next time mm-hmm. is to start using some Bluetooth headphones and report back about what you like about them. <laughs> all right. All right. You've been given homework, young man. Uh, do my best. You will. I want to thank all of our listeners who've gone to the trouble to go ahead and give us reviews on iTunes. I, I just got to say, I am, it, it's so rewarding. It really is to be able to, uh, to, to go to iTunes and see the kinds of things that, uh, that people leave for us there. And uh, I, uh, I, I like it. It's, it's really positive. So I just want to thank um, a few names here, if it's all right. I want to thank uh, a fellow named The Fusco, who says that it's a great podcast for Apple nerds. I want to thank Enrique G. from Ecuador, and he listens while mowing the lawn Saturdays. Uh, I want to thank iPride and G. My Mobile, who both said that it was a nice wrap-up. There's a fellow who says that he's Batman. He goes, I'm Batman, and he listens to it every week. SS Mark, Armando29, uh, MRK6007, C. Parham, Mitch Sevier, Corey Emerson, and Charles Joe in the U.S., has has said that he likes and that it's the best podcast for Apple products reviews. Well, that's very kind. Thank you. And I, I hope that you continue to tune in and we'll be back next week.